I want to tell you that uh, for some of you, I just want to thank you so much. The last couple of days have been overwhelming for us. We have just been bombarded with text, phone calls, emails, um, and any. I, I have a feeling someone's going to put a satellite over my house and drop down something good to us that way. But I just want to tell you, you guys have been such a blessing to me and my family. We are fired up about the future. We're excited for what God is doing. And uh, I'm excited about where we are in this road trip series. So if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, chapter 33. If you have a smartphone and you haven't downloaded the Bible app, you need to do that immediately, okay? We got good Wi-Fi here. You'll have it in a second. Open up the Bible app. Turn to Exodus 33. So this week is week three of the road trip. How many of you have already been on a road trip with your family? Raise your hand. You've already been on some sort of vacation. That's good. We have a lot of folks out today. I know I've talked to a lot of people who said, hey, we're going to wear our South Crest shirt. We're going to hashtag SC road trip. Make sure you do that. We want to know where you are and what you're doing, okay? It would be really funny and kind of confusing, all right? So make sure and do that. Turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 33. The place we stop at today is a very peculiar place. It's a very famous place. But how many of you guys have ever been on a road trip and you get about a couple hours into the road trip and you realize it's that one moment where you need to pull off on the road and you need to take care of business? You know what I'm talking about? And uh, for some of you women in the room, you're like, yes, I know what you're talking about. Some of you men will not pull over for your wife to go to the restroom. Shame on you. Okay? Show her some grace. Let her go to the restroom. But I don't know about you. I get on that trip about an hour or two in. I got to stop at the Flying J. I got to get out. And, and, and I got to buy some corn nuts. Okay? I got to buy barbecue flavor corn nuts. And here's why. It's to help you get through the remainder of the trip with your children. You've got to have some sort of superfood to put into your mouth and into your body as your children begin to annoy you on this road trip and you begin to think about it. And it's also for this, because as you eat and consume lots of barbecue flavor, any corn nut fans here? Anybody love? Yeah. All right. It will be there in the end times. Trust me. It'll be a superfood. And um, as you're eating corn nuts and your breath begins to smell, your children will stay away from you, right? They'll look at you and say, dad, what did you eat? But men, I also want to warn you, it also means your wife will stay away from you, okay? You'll get to the hotel that night, and there'll be none of that, okay? Because you still smell like corn nuts. You got issues. So, yes, right. Say amen, Sean. I got issues. However, we're going to look at a place in the Bible that a lot of people know of, and yet they don't know a lot about. It's the place called Mount Sinai. And I want to remind you, in this series, we're going to all these different places in the Bible where God did something amazing in, in someone's life, and then we take the principle of what he taught him there, and we lift it out of Scripture, and we apply it to our life. So we're going to talk today about this place called Mount Sinai. There's a modern-day picture of Mount Sinai. It looks as, as good as it does uh, as probably when you saw the movie The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. And in chapter 19 of, uh, of this passage that we're going to talk about today, out of Exodus 19, it's, that's the place where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. But let me tell you something else about this. It was also a mountain range, okay? So when we talk about Mount Sinai, it's connected to this other place called Mount Horeb. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we preached about Elijah. We talked about Elijah, and it was the very place, the very mountain where God whispered to Elijah and said, Elijah, get back in the game. And he went back the way he came. So literally, we're talking about the same spot. It's also known as Mount Horeb. It's also known as the mountain of God. 
Why is it known as the mountain of God? Because it was one of the places that we know of in the Bible where God's presence, where the pillar of cloud and the glory and the fire would cover a lot of this mountain because God's presence was there. Uh, But it was enveloped in God's presence. So if you have your Bible, Exodus 33, I want to bring you up to speed on where we're at in the story here. we got to catch you up. In Exodus 19, God gave them the Ten Commandments. He wrote them all on tablets, and he said, I want you to go down, and this is how I want you to live because you're my people, and I'm your God, and I want us to have a relationship together. And so Moses left the mountain. He came down. They were worshiping a calf. He said, no, don't worship a calf. Worship God. And they began to worship God, and they had this relationship. But I want you to see this with me for just a second. Moses had spent chapter 19 through chapter 23 wandering around. He himself chasing after the presence of God, and God's people chasing after the presence of God. So there was this relationship going on with God and his people, but it was kind of like this weird relationship because they're kind of like wandering around in the desert going, when's God going to speak to us again? Like, when's the cloud going to show up again? Like, when are you going to go back on the mountain and get some cool tablets to bring down to us? And there was this relationship going on. And I thought about this. What would it be like to see God? Because in this passage of Exodus 33, it was the first time that God's people no longer searched for Moses because he was meeting with God. They began to see the presence of God, and it was really freaking them out. It was kind of blowing their minds. So I want you to look at verse 1 of Exodus 33. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and all the people uh, brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Whoa, did God just say that? God just said, hey, I want you to go out from here, and I'm going to take care of you. Like, I'm going to drive everyone out before you. You're going to possess the land. You're going to do all this stuff, but I'm not going with you because you guys have grown to a point in my relationship with you where you are stiff-necked. And so when I read this for the first time as a a young college student, I went stiff-necked. That is proof that chiropractic is biblical right there. Like, that was my moment. That's when I looked at my wife and said, honey, I need to go see a chiropractor because I am stiff-necked, okay? And I love my chiropractor, not like in a weird way, but like in a good way, because every time I go to my chiropractor, uh, she takes care of my stiff-neckedness, if that's even a word. I mean, she contorts me and twists me, and she breaks me apart, and the best part of it is this. I leave, and I'm straight. But God looked at his people, and he said, listen, you people, you're stiff-necked. And in my relationship with you, you're so stiff-necked that at this season, I have chosen to stay right here. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to watch over you. I'm just not going to go with you. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a pretty fascinating offer from God right here that he gave to his people. He says, this intimate relationship with me is not really going to work. And I might destroy you on the way, so here's the deal. I will send an angel ahead of you. I'll put you in the land. I'll make you successful, but I won't go with you. In fact, he even says in this verse, my face will not go with you. Very, very important time in the life of God's people. 
You see, God offers Israel what really most people want in life. Success, prosperity, but no tabernacle, no presence of God, no real relationship. It's kind of like having the friends with benefits deal, right? Y'all know what that is, right? Don't act like you don't. Some of you were in college. You had friends with benefits. I understand. But I want to say to you today, he came to a place in their relationship where he said, hey, listen, I will give you all the benefits with no maintenance cost of a relationship. I really began to think about this, and it really kind of made me think he really gave him the ultimate prosperity gospel deal right here. He said, I will bless you. I will make you prosperous, but I will not go with you. You don't have to deal with me. My presence doesn't have to travel with you anymore. Listen, most people, when they hear that, they would jump at the chance. They would say, hey, God, that's a pretty good deal. I get all that you can do for me, but I really don't have to have you. And it was at that moment that the relationship that God had with his people was probably very distant. You see, all of us, when you think about it, we approach God because we need something not always wanting him. Many times we're the focus in our relationship with God, not God. I mean, think about it. He's the one who saves us. He's the one who provides for us. He's the one who gives us stuff. He blesses us. You know, he, he cares for us. He makes sure, but, but at the end of the day, do we really acknowledge him with no relationship, no strings attached? We're often good at seeking God's hand but not really wanting his face. Because he literally looks at his people and he says, hey, I'm gonna take care of you, but my face is not going to go with you. You see, we're willing to do this or that because we want God to bless us with this or that, but we almost kind of make him like this big genie. Hey, God, you give me three wishes, right? Like I want health, I wanna be rich, and I want my kids to be good looking. So God, I've got one of my wishes, now will you give me the other two? I mean, I remember growing up, it's kind of like this. I remember growing up going to a swimming pool when I was younger. It was a place called Ripper Park in Oklahoma City. And my brother and I would go together. My mom would give us a sum of money and she'd say, okay, you guys leave at 10 and don't come back till six o'clock at night, right? You remember those days? Everybody was safe back in those days. And we would go to the pool and we would swim for a while and we would get out and we would go to this one area of the pool where they had this huge glass vending machine. Y'all remember the big vending machines? They still have them, right? You go and you look in the vending machine for everything that you thought you didn't want or need, and you find this this letter and this number, and for me, it was always C9. You know why? Because C9 is where the Reese's peanut butter cups were. Yeah, that is another superfood group right there, all right? We'll totally make it through the end times. And I'm looking at that, and my brother, I have an older brother, what does he do? He puts the money, and he says, what do you want? And I, I look at Tommy, and I go, I want C9, And what does he do? He pushes C11. Yeah. I mean, who in the world wants a payday? I want a Reese's. But see, we we look at I looked at that and I looked at all those different things, and, and really all I cared about is that my number got pushed. And I want to tell you that in our relationship with God, we do the same thing sometimes. We come to him like a vending machine and we say, God, I really want C9. But if you push C12, then I'm angry with you. Or if you push C14, I don't really want any of that. Or if you push B4, nobody gets that, God. Right? 
Nobody gets that. That's why it's always hanging. That's why it's always in stock. And we look at our relationship with God many times, and we do the exact same thing. And that's how the people of God had gotten. So it gets really weird here because God says, I'm going to take care of you, but I'm not going to go with you. Look at verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent, and he would pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent meeting outside of the camp. So get the picture. Here's the village. They were the village people. And out here, they would have outside the village this tent, and Moses would set up this tent. It was the place where he would go meet with God. And the Bible tells us in the verses after that, verses 8 through 10, that when Moses would go out to the tent of meeting, everyone would see it, and they would notice it, and they would walk to the entrance of their tents, and they would stand as Moses went in to meet with God. And as he would go in to meet with God, God's presence, like his cloud, would come and hover over this tent, and all the people from the entrance of their tent would stand and worship God at a distance. I started thinking about that. I thought, that's, that's, that's kind of weird. Look at verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And he said, that's a pretty cool deal. Like Moses would go in and, and he would literally have this encounter with God. But here's what's weird. Can you imagine the pressure that that made Moses feel? Every day he would get up and everyone would watch him go have his quiet time. Hey, Moses, when are you going to have your quiet time, bro? Like, I'm waiting for you to go meet with God here. I mean, they would come in him and, and, and they would basically say, Hey, Moses, since like you and God are like face-to-face, like really friends, what's the chance of you getting like an autograph from me or like a signed T-shirt or, or hey, will you ask him to bless my camels today or, or what is it? I mean, that would be a lot of pressure. I don't know about you. That would just be a lot of pressure. But Moses would speak to him face-to-face. But I want you to look at verse 12 because something began to change in Moses' relationship with God. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. I want you to understand, this was the moment that Moses' relationship with God changed. It was no longer, God, what are the things you're going to do for me? Because in verse 13, he requests something that was bold. He said, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you. If you have a pen and you have your Bible, underline that. If you have the Bible app, highlight that. That's one that you want to hold back and you want to remember. Because what he asked for is, God, if you really are with us and you really are for us, then I no longer want just what you can do for me. I want you. It was the moment where Moses no longer just wanted the favor of God. He wanted FaceTime with God. God, I want your face. I think all of us come to that point. I want to know you, God. How many parents of little kids do we have here? Raise your hand. Okay. I don't know one parent in this room, like today when you go home, if you go sit in your chair and you finish lunch and your child, say they're a first grader, fourth grader, whatever, they crawl up in your lap and they say, Dad, you know, thanks for mowing the yard. Thanks for doing all this other stuff. You know, thanks for, for, for buying me candy and all this. But Dad, I just want to sit here and I just want to be with you. Now, I know some of you. You would cash out your 401K, L, M, J, K, F, P, and Z, 
And you would say, child, what do you want? Like, I'll give you anything. Because as a parent, when your kid crawls up in your lap and they make that statement, it's like, it's all over. I mean, some of you dads, you have daughters. When your daughter crawls up in your lap and says, daddy, that's all it takes for you. You're like melted, right? You're like, can I buy you $300 worth of clothes today? I mean, you know, whatever. You're like so into that. Why? Because you realize your kid no longer wants something from you. They just want you. Parents of teenagers, raise your hand. All right? Now, the crazy moment in your life when your teenager says, Mom, Dad, I really don't need any gas money. Um, I really don't need you to pay my cell phone bill. But I was just wondering if, like, you and I, like, Mom, Dad, you, me, all of us, could, like, put all the cell phones away, and we could just go to a quiet restaurant, and we could just hang out together and spend time together. (laughs) Yeah, you're looking at your wife going, She's smoking crack again. She is a heroin addict, okay? She's in it. You would freak out. But I want you to know that's exactly what Moses did. He went to the Lord and he said, Lord, I know you haven't told me who's going to go with us. But God, I just want to say that I just want you. Teach me your ways so that I can know you. That word know means to be face-to-face, intimate with God. I don't know any girl in the room that if a guy said, listen, I don't care where we go, I don't care what we do, as long as I get to spend an hour with you, it wouldn't melt. So I'm not a big commercial watcher, but I watched a commercial the other day and I cried. I cried at a commercial. Worse, I cried at a Cheerios commercial. So I'm watching TV the other day, and this commercial comes on. It's this little boy, and his dad is trying to feed him breakfast because that's what dads do. They feed kids before they go out the door. And he's sitting there, and he says, son, what type of Cheerio do you want? Do you want Honey Nut Cheerios? Do you want, uh, do you want Brown Sugar Cheerios? Do you want Cheerios that are different colors? What kind of Cheerio do you want, son? And the son looks back at his dad, and he says, the kind I share with you. That was that moment that Moses had with God. And he said, God, I don't care what happens anymore. I don't care what you do for me or what you don't do for me. I just want to share it with you. Write this down if you have a pen. Our relationship with God will change when we no longer want anything from him. We just want to be with him. Verse 14, the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. His relationship changed because he no longer wanted what God could do for him. He just wanted to be with God. God. So I want to give you another point today. When we seek God's face more than we seek his hand, the favor of God is certain to follow. Here's why. God had already told them. He'd already said, listen, I've made my decision. You guys go. I'll take care of you, but I'm not going to go with you. And Moses started seeking the face of God. And the Bible tells us in verse 17 
God's favor followed that. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Some of you in this room, you get it backwards. You're like, man, I want God to bless me. I want God to bless my family. I want my kids to be like models. I want my family to be this. I want my job to be this. I want to make this much money. I want to do, and, and we want the favor without the face. The face represents a relationship. And what happens is we get frustrated with God because we put favor above his face. So in verse 18, Moses got really bold. I mean, he could have stopped at verse 17 when the Lord said, okay, I'll go with you, and I will, I will, I will show you my favor, and, and, and I'll take care of you. He could have said, good, man, I got what I want, and I walked away, but I want you to see what he said in verse 18, because what he said could have literally killed him. He said these words, then Moses said, now, show me your glory. Some of you go, well, that was kind of weird. Like he was wanting God's favor in his face, and now he asked God to show him a trick. No, 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 no. That's not what Moses was asking for. Moses was not saying, hey, God, if you are who you say you are, then prove it. That's not what Moses was asking for. Moses said something that could have literally killed his life because the word glory there is the word kabod. It means the heaviness, the face, the very presence of God upon man. But Moses, I mean, you talk about bold. Lord, since you're going to go with us, since your face is going to be with us, show me your glory. I mean, there's something about a relationship when it moves past all of the pretense to the point where you're saying, God, I'm willing for you to kill me to be with you. And the Lord said, verse 19, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you can stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. I want you to write this down. God will never share his glory, but he will show us his glory. He will never share his glory. But when we get to the point in our relationship with him, when we move past all the superficial stuff, God longs to show us his glory. Moses asked for it here. So I started looking at this thought. What does it mean for God to show me his glory? Number one, it means to see God's goodness. He says, Moses, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Now I want you to think about all the goodness of God. He was basically saying, in this moment, I'm going to take the totality of all that I am, all of my goodness, and it's going to pass right in front of you. Like some of you get freaked out when someone famous walks in front of you. Like you'll see someone at the airport and you're like, hey, that was, that was Matt Ryan. Oh, 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 man, that was. Imagine God passing in front of you in all of his goodness. He says, I will cause all my goodness. He brought all he was to that moment. And he says, I will cause it to just pass right in front of you, Moses. Number two, 
It means to put him at the center. To put him at the center because he basically says this, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. In other words, I'm going to make everything good pass in front of you, but then I'm going to bring you back to the point that you realize that I am at the center. What does that mean? All of history is about revealing God's glory. Not our glory, God's glory. Psalms 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Isaiah 43.7, God created Israel for his glory. John 1.14, Jesus came to reveal God's glory. Some of you grew up in churches where you, you quoted what was known as the Westminster Catechism that said, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him. And you go, I never understood what that meant. It meant to put God at the center. It's this thought that I exist for God, that God doesn't exist for me. Man, when you move to that point in your relationship, wow, that's pretty awesome. Number three, to approach him on his terms, not ours. Because he says here, he says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. You see, beware of a God that is a projection of your own desires and your own wants. Beware of that. I heard Mark Driscoll say this one time. He said, we're to never teach people that Jesus will help us around suffering. Instead, we are to teach people that Jesus will help you through suffering. To approach him on his terms. We can't put on our own ethical lenses and try to figure out God. God, why would you allow me to have cancer? God, why would you allow us to be broke? God, and you look at it through your lens and you go, no, 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 no. The reason I don't understand that is I'm trying to approach God on my terms. And God's going, no, no. I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And I will have compassion. Why? Because God's a good God. That's who he is. Number four, to see his face. I mentioned it earlier, but any time that Moses asked to see the face of God, it was this picture of a relationship. When you see someone's face, there is a relationship. So here's the awkward moment for the day. Look at the person next to you and just stare at their face. Do it real quick. Some of you are freaking out. Like some of you are blushing. Oh my gosh, someone just kissed, okay? Wow, that is so cool, man. I love this church, all right? <laughs> I love this church. But I tell you this, when you look at someone's face, there's a relationship. There's eye gaze. You're looking at each other, and you're seeing into each other's soul. Oh, man. So I love this. At the point when God said, hey, I'll go with you, you don't have to do this alone. Moses wasn't satisfied. He said, God, I want to see your glory. All of God's goodness, him at the center, on his terms. Lord, I want to see your face. You see, here's why Mount Sinai is so important for you and I. Mount Sinai is important because it's the place where our relationship with God becomes personal. It was no longer about, God, I'll serve you if you'll do this. I'll, and it's no longer about us thinking that we serve God when we keep Ten Commandments. Because we can't. We've broken all of them. But it was the moment when the relationship between God and Moses became personal. And I think for us, that is what we need to understand. 
God doesn't want to be a distant God with a bunch of rules and regulations that we can't keep. He's looking at us saying, what do you really want from me, Sean? Do you really want me? I mean, I'll give you all these things, but that's really not what's going to make you happy. Moses asked for the very hand and face of God to fall upon him. And God said, you can't even look directly at me. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to put you in the cleft. I'm going to put my hand on you. I'm going to walk by you. And you're going to see me from the backside, but you're still going to taste my glory like nobody's ever tasted my glory. It's the place where our relationship with God becomes personal. I want you to bow your heads today. And I'm so excited for some of you who've walked into this room that, man, you you think, okay, I know God wants this from me. God, no, listen, here's what God wants from you. He wants a relationship. He wants you to know his ways and he wants you to know him personally and he wants you to seek his face. Oh, his hand will always be there. He's a good God. He's an amazing God. He can do more in a moment than you can do in a lifetime. But I want to tell you what, the thing we've got to walk away with today is this. We've got to come to a place where our relationship with God gets really personal. Because when it does, we have an opportunity to see his glory and be changed forever. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, some of you came into this room and it's never been about a relationship with God. It's been about a ritual. It's been about doing the right things in the right order, hoping that God is pleased and never understanding what it really means that the chief end of my life is to glorify God. Some of you think that means God is like braggadocious about himself. No, it means that God is who he is and I'm not God. But you come into this room and you find yourself in need of a relationship, not religion, not ritual, but God's reaching out to you today and he says, I want to get personal with you. I want you to know me in a personal way. And if you've never made that decision to place your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, here's what Jesus did. Jesus came and died on the cross so that our relationship with God could become personal. He was the bridge between God and man. And when he died, he did it so that our relationship can now be personal. So if you're here today and you've never had a personal relationship with God, I want to invite you to begin that today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to ask you, if you've never made this decision before, would you pray with me? And would you invite Jesus to come into your life and begin a relationship with God today? Just say, dear God, Just right where you sit, silently. Dear God, I come to you today and I thank you for bringing me to this place. I thank you that you love me, that you've cared for me. I recognize that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. And right now, I invite Christ to come into my life to be my Lord to be my savior. I turn from all of my sin, Jesus, and I completely place my faith and my trust in you. Jesus, come into my life today and help me have a relationship with God. 
With every head bowed and every eye closed, we did this in the first service, and we probably had 15, 20 people who recognized that they made a personal commitment to give their life to Christ. But listen, today, if you prayed with me and you truly meant it, you truly stepped into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus, would you just let me know that by just holding your hand up? Just hold your hand up right here. I'm not gonna ask you to come forward. I'm not gonna ask you to sign anything different. Just hold your hand up high. Hold your hand, I wanna see it all over this room. Don't be afraid, man, it's awesome. Praise God. See, what happened today by you asking Christ in your heart, your, your relationship with God became personal. Hold your hand up. Don't be afraid, that's awesome. Praise God. Man, I wanna tell you something. The relationship you began with God today is not only real, it is life-changing. I pray that you'll tell someone around you. I pray that you'll, you'll let us know on your card today so that we can follow up with you and help you take your first steps as a new believer. But I wanna talk to the rest of the group right now. Are you on the friends with benefits plan with God? God, I will serve you if. God, I want you when. Lord, I love you because. I want to challenge you today to go to the point in your relationship with God where you just say, God, I just love you because you're God. And I love you because my relationship with you is more important than anything you could ever give me. Father, thank you today for every single person who for the first time today met you. God, I thank you that you long to show us your glory. And as weird as that term sounds, God, it's your goodness. It's who you are. It's your face. It's a relationship, God. And I pray for every single person in this room that they would fall more in love with you, that they would fall less in love with self, less in love with this world, less in love with sin. And, and God, just come to the point where you are their everything. Father, I know that you delight, just like we delight when our children crawl into our lap and just say, I want to be with you. God, you delight when we do that. Lord, for those who met you for the first time today, give them courage to tell somebody else. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.